Wow, folks, welcome to another season of the Kentucky Ghost Hunter. It is 2019. I am the Kentucky Ghost Hunter with my co-host, Kevin Quatman. Say hi, Kevin. Hey, everybody. Hey, guys, I know we haven't been on air for a while. We're going to talk to, uh, I guess, uh, our engineer, uh, Don Newsom, and we're going to talk a little bit about the studios. Many people, and let me kind of uh, give you a history here about how we work things here. In the past, and I'm sure people have heard me tell this story before, but in the past when we were on the radio, it was required that I go to a studio and uh, report in at a certain time, uh, rain, shine, sleet, snow, whatever, I was there. And it just got to the point that it was more of a nuisance than it was worth because, as everybody knows, I live out in a small community, and it's a heck of a drive to do something like that. So we joined BBS Radio, and uh, I come to you from Centertown, Kentucky. Kevin Quatman actually comes from the Cincinnati area, but our studio was actually in Paradise, California. And the very last show we had, the, what date did you say that was, Kevin, that we were on last? It was like November the 6th. Yeah, November 6th. Uh, we were on, well, actually, Kevin, you were on November 6th because I couldn't be on that show. And what happened was the next day, um, I think Kevin called me and said, yeah, they had a fire up there in Paradise. And I thought he was talking about electrical fire because I had not watched the news at all for a week. And what we found out was that the city of Paradise, and I'm sure everybody knows about it, that it burned down to the ground. The whole city did. And our studio went with it. So uh, Don and his brother Donald, uh, they worked hard and uh, uh, Don, you on with us right now? I am. I am. Yeah, how, it's a pleasure how long to be it, here. Thank, thank you. you. How long did it take you guys to actually tell us about the fire first? Because I know that uh, Doug was with us at the last time we were on, and there was something wrong with him. We knew there was uh, because he was acting a little nervous about things. And I'm sure he could see the fire coming at that point because it was the next day that you guys actually had to desert, I think. But tell us what happened and how you rebuilt and everything just so our, our people know what you guys went through to get where we are today. Well, oddly enough, we we made it out in time, uh, but uh, the home did burn down completely to the ground. Uh, the business and everything in it burned down, um, all the backups, all, I mean, everything. And uh, so we were, we were stymied. Doug and I were pretty much stymied at that point. And then someone, a good friend of ours at L.A. Talk Radio, a good friend, Sam Hassan, the station owner there. He uh, he knew well. He saw what I had done back in the early 2000s, and he he wanted to integrate this into a walk-in studio downtown, you know, down in L.A. And he did very successfully. Uh, so we got to know each other, you know, as great friends over the years, um, and I love that. Um, you know, with some of the people I do business with. You know, we were great friends. Well, he went out of his way to start a GoFundMe account. And, um, pardon me, at, at that point, um, people were actually sending donations. And then he asked us if, he, if we wanted to add any description or what have you. And we kind of understood what he was getting at by a GoFundMe uh, donation campaign. And so um, we agreed to it, and that's where it started. The people actually stepped up to the plate and put us back in business. So Just you're like not that. within not, thirty days. They put us back in business. You're not actually located in Paradise anymore, though, correct? Um, we are no longer in um, Paradise by about three hours, three and a half hours, maybe. 
And so far, everything looks like it's working just fine. Uh, we're, uh, you know, we're talking to you over the over the waves like we always have, and it sounds awesome. So you have all new equipment, everything. We're all ready to roll for a new season, correct? Correct, correct. You know, there are going to be the hiccups that we have to uh, address and isolate as we roll, because again, with all new things come new complications. But um, yeah, I, I I see no problem in getting exactly where we've wanted to go and uh, we're still headed in the same direction we've barely missed a beat to be quite honest oh you guys did an awesome job because i knew that we were on the speaking corporately speaking i mean but we had some reruns going too you guys actually got our reruns up pretty quick didn't you right we had reruns going for a lot of the downtime you know corporately speaking we lost a couple months right of, of pure hard revenue really that's what maybe a little more depending on you know, various circumstances. But considering being, you know, reduced to ashes, um, I'll take that. That's just remarkable. In fact, it's miraculous. I'll take that any day. So, you know, the fact that we're back and now back in business, full tilt, basically, um, is amazing. It really, it really took a lot of people stepping up and saying, hey, we, uh, you know, we support you. And they did. So now tell us what, quick, because we've got a lot of people yeah. on here that has yeah. listened to us for the first that, time. That's your audience, like our yeah, listeners. Yeah, it is. And our yeah, we, we love them. Wow. <laughs> we love them. I mean, holy mackerel. Really, that's miraculous. I mean, when you sit down at late at night like I do and think about it, it, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude. Well, I'm glad that they stood up and, and took a stand to put us back on air as quick as they did because, uh, you know, it could have been worse. It could have been a lot worse. But like you said, the, the fans stood up, and, and it, just not from our show but other shows, and they, they came together and they did something good. And, uh, hey, BBS is back up around our show's back on. So right. we have to say we appreciate all of them. Uh, every single one of them. Now, do me a favor. Tell them the affiliates that we're with still. Uh, I know we're still with everybody, but we have new listeners today. I know we do. Can you kind of tell them the affiliates that we're associated with? Well, you know, we are affiliated with, we have a list put out on, if if people go to bbsradio.com forward slash affiliate dash partners or maybe forward slash partners. I forget. There's a little banner on the right that says 2018 Affiliate Partners. It probably should say 2019, but one step at a time. (laughs) Anyways, you click that banner and you'll be able to get a listing of pretty much where we're broadcasting, okay? As far as where we're broadcasting live and a smattering of the podcast portals that we podcast to. Um, we are, I mean, we're, you know, there's a couple of them that now may be in question, right? That we're going to probably have to get back to. But overall, I would have to say nine, you know, 96% of that list would still be accurate. How's that? That's excellent. That's excellent. Right? So if people go there and click on that little banner they'll be able to understand where we broadcast live. And it's to, you know, over two dozen countries, stations and various portals that take live broadcasters throughout various countries directly 
indirectly, but we're talking directly. Indirectly, we're on many more stations. We don't list a lot. In fact, it's, you know, we could go nuts, right, and create a really uh, interesting page, but it would be a little mm, erroneous because a lot of the companies that would carry our information would be companies that are only picking up one program's podcasts or two of our podcasts on our station, right? And things like that. So you get a lot of that. That labels into probably upwards into the many hundreds. Last time I put a list together, it was over 104, 105. And I just thought, ah, threw my hands up in the air because it was ridiculous. I'd only gotten by a few countries. Uh, That's a a lot, buddy. Right. But these are syndication-type portals that if you've got a good portal and you're syndicating to the proper stations, some of these boys pick you up and they just pedal you out there and then it's kind of like an underground wave right <laughs> i don't know what oh yeah i right. guess that's a good analogy i guess that's a good analogy right so you know, yeah sorry no i was just letting you go man i'm enjoying the call the talk oh thank you <laughs> so now donald donald uh I'm sorry, Doug and Donald both. You guys are twins, and you've how long has BBS been in business and all that good stuff? Because I know there's some people out there that are thinking about doing their own program down the road, and you know, and 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 I've suggested you guys to everybody, and then the fire started. But I I know you guys have a good program. You're very good at what you do, and I suggest that anybody that's thinking of doing a podcast or something Thank like you. that, they need to be with BBS. Uh, we do it live, but some of them are just podcasts. But uh, you know, tell them how to get a hold of BBS and all that good stuff, and and what you can do for them, buddy. Well, thank you for asking. And, and for us, folks, if you're a broadcaster, you get podcasting free. Um, otherwise, if you don't want to broadcast live on our station schedule, you can always podcast your own files at your own uh, frequency, at your own times or intervals. Um, and then it's kind of an automated do-it-yourself system. And many of our, you know, we have clients that do that. But we cater to live broadcasters. We like the live, interactive, original-type broadcasting that our network brings, and then we then syndicate out to other networks that love what we bring. Uh, it's very unique. It's very original. And uh, so if you think that's cool and you like what we do, you can always contact us at contact at bbsradio.com or call us toll-free at 888 8061. Now that's good here in North America, or you can call us direct at 323 744 4828. All those numbers are on the website. They haven't changed since the fire. We've tried to keep everything just the way it was so nobody gets lost in the matrix. Sounds good. I appreciate it, Don. We're going to go to Thank commercial you. break here Thank in you. about two seconds, and we're going to come back with Kyle Cobb, our special guest for tonight. So let's do our commercials, and we'll be right back with Kyle. Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few more sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? Yes. And this? Yes. And what about this? there thirst that wasn't sound effects that was a coke i'm no longer thirsty 
This is the Kentucky Ghost Hunter. If you've ever wanted to become a successful investor but have some issues on just where to find a good deal, well, I've got one for you. Look no further than Sorehead Station, Burgers and Lord Hartford. The opportunity offers low participation with a maximum revenue award potential. If you want to learn more about this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, just send me an email. Dean at KentuckyGhostHunter.com That's Dean at KentuckyGhostHunter.com I'll tell you what, I'll forward your request for information to the owners of this facility, and you'll get back to you as soon as possible. It's a great deal, folks. Remember the name, Sorehead Station, Burgers and More. When the food is great, the profits are going to be greater. We're here asking people from all over what they think of Lipton Green Tea. Let's hear what people from Texas have to say. Mmm, mmm. How about China? Mmm. Germany? Mmm. How about people from the North Pole? Mmm. Or Mars? It, what about mimes? Oh, right. People with their jaws wired shut? Oh. Yeah, a barbershop quartet. Mm. Oh, you guys are great. How about race car drivers? Mm. Yeah, what about you, high school glee club, here on a field trip? settles it. It sounds like everyone loves the taste of Lipton Green Tea. With its protective antioxidants from real tea, it's not just good for you, it's mmm to you. Lipton Tea can do that. Air fresheners create a beautiful atmosphere in your home. But some can be overpowering. Ambipure Puress is different because it's allergen reduced. It's just as scented, but we've taken things out to make it kinder to sensitive skin. So, all you're left with is a collection of delicate air fresheners approved by Allergy UK. Ambipure Puress, a fresh take on fragrance in your home. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate. So you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's Dark Chocolate to the Rescue. My heroes! M&M's Dark Chocolate Candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Hi, Tom Bodette. Of all the things invented in 1962, some have faded away, like cassette tapes. And others are still very much with us, like lava lamps and Motel 6. Yep, Motel 6 is celebrating 50 years of giving travelers a good night's rest and saving you more for what you travel for. But we're just getting started. In fact, the longer you watch us, the better we get. Kind of like a lava lamp. Trippy. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6. 50 years and the light's still on. Hey, 
and welcome back to the Kentucky Ghost Hunters show. If you uh, want to call in for our next guest and ask him any questions, it's a 1-800 number. It's 888-429-5471. That's 888-429-5471. A direct dial in of 323-744-4841. That's 323-744-4841. Our guest tonight is Kyle Cobb. Now, Kyle has got a lot of stuff. Uh, that he's done. I mean, he's worked for CNN. He's worked for TBS. He's an author. Uh, right now, he's president of Night International. He's a demonologist and paranormal investigator and the chief investigator for Last Gasps. So, welcome aboard, Kyle. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. How are you this evening? Doing awesome. Doing awesome. Do me a favor. There's a lot more on here than what I've... I mean, I've just got a little list of things that you've done. Tell tell everybody about yourself, buddy. Well, I, I like to, to start out by saying... Uh, line from the Forrest Gump book. In the book, he says, I ain't lived no humdrum life. Um, I've really been lucky. Um, I've been working since age 12, and uh, my very first real job uh, post-high school was at CNN in the satellite division. And then since then, it's just been a ride. Um, I I went uh, from CNN to TBS. I eventually was a consultant for the U.S. Air Force and got to start traveling the world with them, and uh, it just has never stopped. I've been really, really lucky, and um, part of my travels, when I was uh, 12 years old, I had the unique opportunity to have a college professor give up his life in college and come to my small town in uh, central Georgia to teach high school, well, then middle school, to take care of his aging parents. And he decided that he was going to give his students a college education at that level, at age 12, so seventh grade. And so for the next five years, I received a classical Greek education. And every year that I graduated to the next level, he went with us. So he was actually our uh, mentor for those five years. So what that did is it gave me this insight into ancient religions that a kid at the age of 17 wouldn't ordinarily have. And um, what eventually happened, my father died uh, when I was 17, right before going to college. And as a result, I went on this religious quest to try to understand um, the nature of religion and to try to, I guess, understand what is God, so to speak. So that carried me to, at this point, 59 countries, I've studied 22 different religions, and along the way, I've gotten to meet some of the most incredible people. Um, I've had a witch heal me. Um, I've been able to participate in the Mayan sun death ritual that happens on the solstice. I've I've gotten to see so many incredible things and meet so many just amazing people. It's It's been an amazing trip, and along the way, I've have a love for history and cultures. So um, I took my hometown, uh, which is Griffin, Georgia, south of Atlanta, and I did a paranormal investigation there. And usually when I do a regular investigation, whether it's a a private site or public, I do like a history background on them. And so for my hometown, what's normally a 10 or 15-page history, ended up being a 50-page. And then from there... I said, well, you know, I've discovered some new history, so I ended up writing four history books, 2,000 pages worth of history on this podunk town 
that was supposed to be Atlanta. And um, so that kind of history thing, I love digging in deep. Um, in a lot of ways, my latest uh, paranormal books are really history books because I'm taking paranormal locations like Waverly, um, uh, places like uh, Bobby Mackey's, different places like that, and looking at what the real history is on them. And uh, so I just have this passion. I have this passion for learning, and I have the passion to share that with uh, people. So that's kind of a long-winded version of your short question. Well, that's fine. I have to ask you a question because you sound like you're a very educated person. And some of the educated people we've had on our show kind of veer off from paranormal, saying that it's not possible, there's no God, so forth and so on. Uh, and it, cert- it seems to me, since you are in the paranormal field and you're a demonologist, that you do have some kind of religious beliefs. You probably have to if you're a demonologist. So kind of give me a, a scenario. How did you get into, from the education level, into paranormal and your beliefs on it? Well, like, like I said, I've studied 22 different religions. I, I myself currently am an Anglican. Um, I grew up Southern Baptist, and I have since studied both ancient and modern religions. Um, you, you see a lot of parallels in them, and one of my specialties has been the evolution of religion. And what that means for me is I started out trying to understand Christianity, and then I went backwards and looked at how Christianity had changed over the two millennia that existed. And then that led me into studying ancient Judea and the ancient Israel uh, or Jewish texts and how those evolved and changed over their time period. And then it, that led me to studying the religions that were competing against them, um, things like the Easter or the Canaanite or the Zoroasticism and how those interacted. And ultimately it led me all the way back to the earliest writings, which are Mesopotamian, the Epic of Gilgamesh. And what I discovered in there is then if you, you take what's in the Epic of Gilgamesh and you look at how the religions in the, the West, such as Christianity, were basically overlaid on some of the fundamental concepts. So then I went and studied it going eastward, and I saw how the, the same concepts from Mesopotamia then were influenced by Hindi and Buddhism, and as they moved further and further to the east, they became Tibetan, and then eventually Taoist. And then when you jumped across to North and South America, pre-European period, you discover that many of the religions are the same as the Mesopotamian. The names are different, but the core belief systems, their understanding of what demons are and what gods are, are really the same as they were in Mesopotamia. So that's what kind of gave me the preparation to get involved. What actually brought me into the field, after studying this stuff around the world and traveling around the world, I had put up some stuff on my now one of my many websites, a lot of travel photos. And there was a young lady who had something after her son. He was three at the time, and they had been having trouble for a year. Her friends reached out to me. They'd seen my website. And, uh, you know, I told him, I don't do paranormal. That's not my thing. I was lucky enough, though, I had met uh, Ghost Hunters folks, uh, Grant in particular, um, a few years earlier, because I was in radio in Atlanta. And I met Grant. And so one of the things I did when they brought this concern to me was I contacted the Atlantic Paranormal. 
Well, that was just as the TV show was getting kicked off, and they were like, well, we have a two-year wait. So that this girl felt like she was in trouble. That wasn't a possibility. Um, so they gave me a local affiliate in Atlanta that was part of the, the TAPS family. But when I vetted the group, they were shysters. They would sell paranormal investigations to businesses and then include the business on their ghost tours and then get a kickback from it. So that wasn't acceptable. And this girl was scared. So I conned a couple of my friends in to going with me and wrote checks for a couple thousand dollars worth of uh, paranormal investigation equipment, I'd say with air quotes, um, security system, <laughs> cameras, and some just basic stuff, audio recorders. And we went to try to help this girl. And never really knowing what to expect or, you know, having any idea what we were doing. And it just turned out that she really had something after her child. Um, it was both scary and illuminating at the same time. And that, that case um, made me kind of decide, hey, you know, there's something to this. There's truth out there. And that's been my driving goal throughout my whole life. Um, that's why I've traveled so much. That's why I've studied so many religions, is I want to know what the truth is. I don't care what the truth is. I just want to know what it is. And with paranormal, there is this mystery. You know, on the one hand, you have physics as we understand it and science as we understand it, so some of these things can't happen. But when something impossible happens in front of you, it leads you to question your whole belief system. You know, with, there, it, there has to be a reconciliation between what we know as science and the paranormal. And actually, as part of my studies and um, growth has gone, I'm, I'm reading a lot more. Um, I, I, I like physics. I, I used to be a student of physics a long, long time ago and kind of walked away from it. But as you look at some of the groundbreaking stuff that they're discovering in physics today, something called the M-theory, for instance, some of the paranormal stuff is starting to kind of fall out in that realm. Some of the things that we call paranormal today may be able to be explained by some physics. And so that kind of quest is what keeps me in the paranormal because I want to know what the truth is. And I guess kind of as an aside, one of the other things that happens in the paranormal is you, you get one of two things happen. You either become completely anti-God or completely uh, believe in God or a God or whatever your belief system is. And I just know that as I'm encountering these things, I deal with uh, what are referred to generally as agitated spirits and demonic entities. So I get the worst of the worst. I'm the guy who a lot of times the paranormal team will call me up if they get scared off of a case. My leading clients are actually clergy. And so, you know, when they have a problem, they pick up the phone and call me. And I get literally hundreds of calls a month. Uh, I say calls, but it's actually calls, emails, texts, um, for people all over the world asking for help. So, you know, when I say that 
it, my case has given me belief. I've seen some things that I still to this day don't quite understand, but as I'm reading ancient texts, some of the things that I've encountered are in those ancient texts. So in some ways, uh, while we're, we think of ourselves as a more advanced society, our pr so-called primitive ancestors thousands, 2,000, 3,000 years ago knew some of the information that's lost to us now. So that's kind of my goal, like I said, is I'm, I'm searching for the truth. Again, a very long answer to your short question. Well, I like your long answers. They're very informative. But I have got to ask you this because I have talked to demonologists, uh, well, as you say, air quotes, when I say that. And, you know, a lot of them use incense or something like that to, to get rid of these demonic spirits or what they're calling demonic spirits. I, I really don't believe in all that incense stuff. But tell me, how do you get, if somebody calls you for a problem, and I'm asking because I'm really interested in this, but if somebody calls you for a problem, how do you deal with an entity such as the one that was attacking the little boy? Well, I guess there, there's several layers. First of all, let me say to you and whoever happens to be listening, 99.9% .9 of the cases that someone says are demonic are not. They've watched one too many Zach Bagans episodes where he's been possessed. Amen, um, brother. So, you know, the first job I have is to listen to the potential client to try to understand really what's going on. And as you move through that kind of process, most of the time you can come up with a concrete, rational answer. The client may have um, some kind of mental problem. They may have some kind of medication-causing issues. There's a whole bunch of things that can cause people to think um, that they have some kind of demonic thing going on. Also, you know, again, that, that, that certain TV show that, where the host gets possessed every week doesn't give people a real sense of what's really going on in the world. So after you've eliminated all the not really a paranormal event type of issues, then what you're left with out of that community Again, most of those cases are not demonic. Demonics are very rare. Most of the time, if it is something paranormal going on, it could be a simple poltergeist, or it could be a really agitated, I'll use the term spirit, apparition, whatever you want to call it. Um, it could be some kind of um, very agitated paranormal event occurring. So once you've narrowed all of that down, you can then start actually looking at, okay, if, do I have a demonic? Does it meet certain criteria? And once you try to, you know, what it's there doing, why it's sticking around, you you then kind of tailor your uh, defense against it. One of the things I like to, first of all, say is, at least in my humble opinion, possession isn't what modern cultures made it sound like it really is. The The word um, for possession, actually, if you go back to the Greek, it actually means to suggest. Ek, um, ekbalo is what they call it. Um, and what that really means is that they don't control the host. They're not slipping into your body. They're suggesting to the host certain things in the host's own thoughts. And I've had this done to me a few times in, uh, along the way. And 
it can be, first of all, terrifying. Um, I don't want to digress too much, but I'll, if you remind me, I'll tell a story a little bit about uh, a case of the, the suggestion. But you, when they're not actually sliding into your body, they're they're suggesting to you. And it's also been my experience that, for the most part, they don't really stick around with the same uh, victim for a long period of time. They're more like a mosquito. They feed a little bit on one person, then they go to the next person, then they go to the next person, and eventually they may come back to that that original victim. Um, But it's rare that they actually are staying in the same place. And the, the funny thing is that if you... Look, like I said, I've studied the kind of the evolution of the idea of demons all the way back to the beginning, both East and West. In the East, they believe that demons are physical, just like you and me. Um, They may be invisible, and science has actually got some explanations for that, uh, which is kind of scary. But um, they may we may not be able to perceive them with our eyes or even the frequencies we're looking at right now. But they're physical, just like you and me. And in the, they actually are depicted a lot of times in the East. Is There's something called a gruel de zool, which is often a painted as though it's either riding the back of the person or the person's riding its back. In the West, we believe that they're intangible and immortal. And part of the reason for that is actually some mistranslations. Um, when most of modern... Christianity is based on basically, and again, air quotes, Greek versions of the Bible. Because when the Bible was formalized, they said that if we don't have it in the quote-unquote original Greek, it was discarded. The problem was, as monks began to translate from Greek to Latin, there had been hundreds of years between the early Greek culture and the the Latin translators doing it uh, in generally talking about 500 A.D., roughly, when they did those translations, they knew the word, but they didn't know the context. And so what that meant is when they went to go translate from the Greek, they kind of guesstimated some stuff. And another quick digression, I'm sorry, I'm rambling on here a little bit, but the Greeks believed that there were three levels of religion, or there are three levels to religion. There's something called the theos, which are the gods on Olympus. There's something called the daemon, which are the divinity, gods, on earth. And there's something called the demonium, which are these little intangible spirits that whisper in your ear, don't do this, or you should do this. We can almost think of them as like guardian angels today. Well, when the Christianity was superimposed on the Greek uh, society, what happened is Theos, which were, remember, the gods on Olympus, became the god in heaven and the heavenly host, the angels. The daemon became the fallen angels on earth. Technically, Jesus was a daemon because he's divinity on earth. It also was the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was God's presence on earth. And then the daemons became kind of blended when they were translated into Latin. And so what happened is the demonium and the daemons became considered intangible in a way that previously they may not have been. So when we look at that, it means that 
from a Christian perspective, since the Catholic Church kind of led the charge on all of this, that they don't believe you can kill a demon. Even in the Bible, Christ only casts them into other creatures or casts them out, but never kills them. And so what that means is that what we think of in the West as an exorcism, commanding the demon to leave the person, is just asking nicely and kind of crossing your fingers. In the East, however, they have tools to kill them. They believe you can kill a demon. And that gives them kind of a bigger arsenal. So when I say I'm a demonologist, I'm not, what, I'm not a TV quote demonologist. I'm someone who really studies the, the concept of demons. And I see both the Eastern and the Western perspectives. And I, I kind of, from my practice, apply both of those as the case needs. Sorry again, long answer. No, it's fine. I gotta, and I'm going right back to it because you, you've uh, you, you piqued my interest a little bit more. But let's just say that you walked into a house, you did your complete, you know, talk with the people. You found out they have a legitimate problem, and this little sucker's not going anywhere. It's staying in the house. You use the East concept, you use the West concept, but how do you get that out of their house? I mean, if it, if it wasn't leaving. And it wasn't being the mosquito. What process would you use? The east process, west process, or what do you use to actually make it leave? Well, there's a couple different things that I do. Just cookie cutter. First thing, I'm very sensitive to the client's religious uh, orientation, and so one of the things I will try to do is I will try to address with the client anyway based on their religious beliefs, to reinforce their own personal um, sanity, I guess. That's probably not the best word. But I try to reinforce their self-confidence that this thing isn't going to continue to be a threat. And the reason that's very important is I mentioned earlier the idea of suggesting. The stronger you believe that something can't affect your thoughts, seems anyway that that helps resist it like again swat again a mosquito if it's something that seems like it's going to be stuck there for a while i actually do uh, often use um, an eastern perspective um i i have the catholic tools as well um, i actually just received officially a copy of the uh, the new catholic exorcism in english uh which uh I, I was really happy with because my my next book out, um, I wrote a defense of, of the Catholic Church as part of it, and uh, as a reward, I got this exorcism book. But anyway, so you know, I have those tools in the arsenal, but I am not an exorcist. I don't claim to be. Um, my job is to identify what's there, and you know, I work with priests if it's necessary. Um, but I do a, a lot of times. I have something called a ferba or a kyle. I have a lot of them, actually, a whole collection. Um, and one of them was actually auctioned at Sotheby's Auction House in 19, I believe it was 72, as one of the 100 most cursed items on the planet. And uh, the idea of a Ferber or a Kyla is, from a Tibetan perspective, it's basically a, you, you're sucking the energy out of a creature. It's a, it's a weapon used to peg it, so to speak, to the earth. The science behind it, actually, is it's a lightning rod. It actually pulls electricity out of the air. It's made of seven metals, and uh, 
as a result, it has a charge on it, and so literally you can carry it near a battery and it'll start draining the battery. So that's the science behind the thing. And uh, some of them, I think my oldest one is about 450, 500 years old. And um, some of them I can carry literally into a place that's haunted, into a place with demonic activity, and the place goes quiet. So don't actually have to go through any of the Tibetan rituals or any of that. Just having the physical object in there kind of, again, swats the fly. I will say that, you know, it's not 100% effective. Um, I've had at least one case that went really bad south. Um, but more often than not, I go in and I just try to methodically address, figure out what I'm dealing with. Um, and I consider when I'm trying to figure out what I'm dealing with, I do use a lot of the Eastern concepts uh, because we find that in the West, because they, they kind of view all of them as these intangibles, there really aren't that many um, concrete differentiations between the different kinds of things you're dealing with. You know, you, if you go through, like, the grimoires in the West, you see that they've given them, like, all these artificial names, and they've ranked them, but those rankings don't really tell you anything about the nature of the creature. Where in, you look in the Eastern concepts, in the Eastern concepts, they have very clear properties that you can say, okay, does this thing exhibits this particular uh, type of thing happening. Does it have this kind of effect? Does it do this or this? And so you can classify them. And based on the classification, sometimes they're easier to deal with than others. But I can also say, and this shocks uh, to some extent um, some of the, the Christians out there, um, I can say all demonic things are not evil. I know that that gets me into trouble, but it's true. You know, we we as humans view anything that's a threat to us or harms us as evil. Well, to a cow, you know, humans are evil. Uh, Ronald McDonald is the Antichrist. You know, because they're what's kill like they're what kills the cattle. So it's all a matter of perspective. And where you are on the food chain affects your view of whether it's good or evil. But um, anyway, I've, I've probably said too much there. But <laughs> uh, We've actually had a, uh, a psychic come on and tell us the same thing. Before. I don't know if it was last year or the year before that, but she gave us the story of what was considered a demon that was living in a uh, garden area that she would visit every once in a while. And, you know, psychics sometimes, you know, yeah, now you don't know if they're really psychics or not until they prove themselves. But I have heard that concept before where, you know, there is good and evil demons. Now, you're right. Some people's not going to believe that but on a religious aspect, but there's others out there that believe that. But I, I'm going to have to ask you another question here, Kyle, because you've bred from one end of the world to another, and it's all blended together religiously and everything. So what are we dealing with when we deal with spirits and, and or ghosts or demons? What are we dealing with? Are they people that have passed on that haven't left the earth or... Where do they go? I mean, you've done the research on it, so kind of enlighten me a little bit about your philosophy on what we're actually dealing with when we walk into a haunted house. Well, I, I, I can only tell you a couple different theories. Um, in my heart, I think 
I know, but I don't know from a um, necessarily a logical perspective yet. Um, there's something called in physics, something called M theory. And it was what has eventually occurred from something that started out as unified field theory long ago. It was trying to take the physics of very small objects, microphysics, and rectify that with the physics of space, uh, large objects, macrophysics. And for the longest time, those two equations, they never could get the science to work between the two. And what they discovered um, about 20 years ago, the theory is that if you take physics, if you take the equations of the real world and you apply them, and this is where it gets really deep on from a science level, to 11 dimensions, and it's hard to even explain that, but basically what that means is that there is a possibility that if you, our entire existence, if you think of that as a dot on a piece of paper, the entire piece of paper is coded with other versions of our reality. And that piece of paper is then in, in the middle of a stack of, of an infinite number of pieces of paper. So one possibility is what we're dealing with with paranormal isn't anything dead necessarily. It's where our universe and, and, or our existence and another existence are coming very close to each other. We're blending. We're, we're bleeding over into each other's realities. That also opens up another concept of the idea of time. Time is not real. Time is an artificial construct. It's a way we measure the change in energy from a high state to a low state called entropy. And so it's very possible that another universe, if it's touching ours, even if it's almost exactly like ours, that it's not in the same time that we are. So you're interacting with, let's say, if you're in a place where there's a, a so-called spirit from 100 years ago, for them it's still their time. It's not the past. It's their present. For us it's our present, but those two presents aren't the same present. So I think that's one thing, and that's where it's, I mentioned earlier the idea that Science may eventually come up with an answer for the paranormal. I guess the one other thing I would mention kind of along that same line, when we talk about time and space being artificial constructs, it's very possible that what we're also encountering, if, if even if it is in a parallel universe, if you, if you throw all that theory out, time itself may not be as rigid as we think it is. So another possibility is, again, we are encountering whatever we're encountering, but in their own time. But because we're not in phase with it, we're, because we're not part of that same time space that they exist in, they're kind of shadows to us and we're kind of shadows to them. And it's not a, it's like a bad phone call. You, you can't quite see or quite hear what exactly is going on. Well, on a phone call, you can't actually see. But, you know, the, the idea is there. We're just kind of impressions on each other's reality. I think that's true for most of the paranormal events. And that, that explains, in my mind anyway, 
a more concise, logical answer, because that means that there really are rules. So anyway, <laughs> hope I didn't get too deep for you there. No, no, I, I'm, I'm actually on the same page with you. Now I have to, and I was going to go to commercial break here, but Don, we're going to hold off and let him answer one more question before we go to commercial break. Um, so I, I guess what I'm getting at: Do you actually believe in life after death, or are you are you more apt that it's interdimensional commingling? I guess that we're actually experiencing. Well, I think anybody who denies the possibility of something like that without any evidence one way or the other, cuts themselves short. So I, I do believe that there is something beyond our mortal veil. Um, but, you know, that Shakespeare referred to it as the undiscovered country, uh, a land to which every man must journey, but no man ever returns. And so I believe, I mean, I'm like I mentioned earlier, I'm a, uh, an Anglican, which is the Episcopal Church in the United States, um, Church of England, um, but, you know, that is with the belief that there is some structure to the universe, that in my version of religion, you know, there's a God in heaven and all of that thing. Um, but it's also, I'm open enough to believe that there are other interpretations which could be just as valid. When we come down to it, the universe itself is made of energy, and we are all made of energy, and energy is matter, and matter is energy. So who am I to say that there isn't, you know, one collective conscience uh, that has the ability to organize that energy as a god? And so, uh, again, I'm <laughs> sorry, sorry if I'm kind of diving into the deep end here, but, um, you know, I, I, I do believe strongly that um, there is a moral compass and that there is a, a higher power that directs that moral compass. Okay, I'm going to have to, Don, hold on a second, because I don't want to lose this framework going at right here. Um, and I'm going to kind of pin you down a little bit right here. I understand you're saying that maybe, maybe not, but on a personal level, if you, you are uh, a religious person, you believe in God and everything, is there a heaven and hell, or is that just a concept from ancient times that people have brought over, or is that a Greek philosophy? Or you know, I, I know I'm pinning you down, and I apologize, but it's kind of an interesting subject. You're very... Uh, fluent in what you your knowledge and a lot of what you say I agree with and I've said it in other shows but in a different way uh, but as far as you know if you died today what's going to happen man well the the way uh, because none of us have actually been there that's where the idea of faith comes in and even with the idea of faith there's so little true concrete explanation on it, um, it, you know, for Christians reading wh whichever version of the Bible that they're reading, those versions, one differ greatly in some cases, and in some cases they've changed over time. So we don't really know when we talk about what heaven is, what it truly is. We also don't really know what hell is. Um, you know, the concept of hell didn't exist in the Jewish tradition. And it was introduced, or, you know, from a Christian perspective, it was kind of, it's kind of a New Testament type idea. So what is hell? We don't really know. So I guess from my personal perspective, the way I kind of explain it when I'm trying to 
talk to clients of whatever faces they're talking about is if you imagine that when you die, you join God, whatever your concept of that is, whether it's, you know, they visit old Twilight Zone with a guy walking to heaven and he's walking down a road and there's like literally a, an old-timey fence that you go in to get into it and it's, it's hunting for the rest of his eternity. So, you know, it, it, what the actual physical manifestation of it is, if there is one, I think is subjective to the individual and to their belief system. But if you, just to, to summarize that, if you think that when I die, I, I, become, I know God, whatever that concept is. I'm one with God. But if I don't let go of my ego, to get very Buddhist on you, if I don't let go of who I am, if I don't get to embrace what God is, by definition, wouldn't that be hell? You know, you're, you know, you're, se- you're separated from whatever the revelation is. So I think that in my kind of um, homogenized version of uh, belief, that that's kind of what hell really is. I don't necessarily picture um, hell as an inverted version of heaven where, you know, at the bottom of it, Lucifer is at a, uh, his own Tissonier and Frozen, chewing on Brutus and Judas Iscariot, you know, like the old medieval concept from Dante. I don't believe that that in and of itself is there. Can't say that it isn't, but in my kind of way of looking at the universe, I think just knowing that they're truly knowing with beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a God, there is all of this, and not being a part of that becomes the hell. Um, And if you believe that a spirit or an apparition is a dead person, then you could say that their time on earth here as an apparition may be that same hell while they're separated from where they could have gone. I like that. I like that. Okay, Don, we're going to go to commercial break real quick. We'll be right back with Kyle, folks. Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few more sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? Yes. And this? there thirst that wasn't sound effects that was a coke i'm no longer thirsty you're so out of here coca-cola open happiness as a man you know what it's like to break your back on a daily basis introducing new bud silver the beer for hard-working men it's just what you need after a day of assembling flat pack furniture when instructions are cast aside in favor of intuition working with one eye on the job and another on the tv a day when you're told it looks a bit wonky at least 40 times. Hardworking men want a fuller-tasting, thirst-quenching beer. New Bud Silver. One cold can of you bet I earned it. Hi, this is the Kentucky Ghost Hunter. If you've ever wanted to become a successful investor but have some issues on just where to find a good deal, well, I've got one for you. Look no further than Sorehead Station Burgers and Lord Hartford, Kentucky. Opportunity offers low participation with a maximum revenue award potential. If you want to learn more about this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, just send me an email. Dean at 
KentuckyGhostHunter.com. That's Dean at KentuckyGhostHunter.com. I'll tell you what, I'll forward your request for information to the owners of this facility, and you will get back to you as soon as possible. It's a great deal, folks. Remember the name, Sorehead Station Burgers and More. When the food is great, the profits are going to be greater. We're here asking people from all over what they think of lifting green tea. Let's hear what people from Texas have to say. Mmm. How about China? Mmm. Germany? Mmm. How about people from the North Pole? Mmm. Or Mars? <laughs> what about mimes? Oh, right. People with their jaws wired shut? Oh. Yeah, a barbershop quartet. Mmm. Oh, you guys are great. How about race car drivers? Mmm. What about you, high school glee club, here on a field trip? That settles it. It sounds like everyone loves the taste of Lipton Green Tea. With its protective antioxidants from real tea, it's not just good for you, it's mmm to you. Lipton Tea can do that. Air fresheners create a beautiful atmosphere in your home. But some can be overpowering. Ambipure Puress is different because it's allergen reduced. It's just as scented, but we've taken things out to make it kinder to sensitive skin. So, all you're left with is a collection of delicate air fresheners approved by Allergy UK. Ambipure Puress, a fresh take on fragrancing your home. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&Ms. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate. So you've been avoiding M&Ms. <laughs> yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's Dark Chocolate to the Rescue. My heroes! M&M's Dark Chocolate Candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Hi, Tom Bodette. Of all the things invented in 1962, some have faded away, like cassette tapes. And others are still very much with us, like lava lamps and Motel 6. Yep, Motel 6 is celebrating 50 years of giving travelers a good night's rest and saving you more for what you travel for. But we're just getting started. In fact, the longer you watch us, the better we get. Kind of like a lava lamp. Trippy. I'm Tom Bodet for Motel 6. 50 years and the light's still on. Welcome back to the Kentucky Ghost Hunter Show. Hey, guys, if there's any paranormal people out there or any authors out there that want to get their books out into the public or at least get people to know about them, you know, you can go to bbs.com and actually submit as a guest to several different shows on BBS, including this one. So we're here to help you if you want to get on there and, and maybe be a guest on our show. Just go to bbsradio.com and uh, fill out the information, and then it'll get to me and uh, some other shows, too, and we'll see if we can't get you on air. We're here with Kyle Cobb, and during the break, uh, Kyle said something, and, and, and as soon as he said it, I put my coffee down and put my headset on. So, Kyle, I'm going to have to put you on. You said you have disproved Lucifer. Tell us that story, buddy. Okay, so if you ask anybody today, practically speaking, who is Lucifer? You'll hear the answer of, well, he's the prince of hell, he's the fallen angel, he's Satan, whatever. Well, I, got, I get 
a lot of inquiries from folks, uh, usually paranormal teams of priests, on specifically named demons. And as I was putting together my new book, which will hopefully get done at some point, it's late as it is, um, one of the things I wanted to do was do research on the origin of different named demons that may make cameos on the TV show Supernatural or get possessed Zach Bagans on a weekly basis. Um, so Lucifer was obvious, one of the obvious choices. Well, it turns out Lucifer doesn't exist. He's a mistranslation. And let, let, let me quickly explain that to, to all the folks that are getting ready to burn me at stake. Um, Lucifer, it, 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 you actually, the, the first... Um, the first and only true mention of the capitalized name of Lucifer in the Christian King James New Testament is in a, a translation in Isaiah. And the thing that you have to understand when the prophet Isaiah is um, talking about the future, what's happened is that the Jews have been thrown out of uh, Jerusalem, uh, the Babylonians are in control, and Isaiah is making prophecies about the return of uh, the Jews and the future. And when he's doing that, he specifically is talking about uh, the king of Babylon, which is probably Nebuchadnezzar um, or his son, and he refers to him mockingly as he's describing him as, oh, he that is the bearer of the light. And the word there is halal in Hebrew, which, again, is the bearer of the light. Well, when that is translated into Greek, and uh, the, the short name uh, that for the Greek is, you can just call it the 70, uh, when it's translated into the Greek, it uses the term heosphos, which is a literally someone who carries a torch or is the morning star as it arises, Venus. So, and for a couple hundred years, that was the, the word. Well, that's translated into Latin. When it's translated into Latin, the Latin word for someone who carries a torch is Lucifer, lowercase, a torchbearer. It also was re the term used to refer to the morning star. So, we have it in Latin as Lucifer. And it's that way for hundreds of years, lowercase. But what happened, and it's even, by the way, it's so benign, there are uh, uh, saints named Lucifer and renowned priests and bishops named Lucifer. So it's a, not considered any kind of uh, negative context. But what happens is when the early versions of the Latin to English translation occurred, someone along the way decided that the Lucifer in that uh, context should be capitalized. And so as a result, that got included in the King James Version as a capital L. Again, there's still, most people didn't put any negative connotations to it. But over time, what eventually happened is, and we, there's actually a specific smoking gun as to why people think Lucifer exists today, what happens is in 1909, there was something called the Concordance Bible written. And the Concordance Bible was distinctive because that was the first 
Bible in a thousand years that actually had commentary side by side with the text. It's a King James Bible with commentary. The Concordance Bible became the most reproduced Bible in all of history. It actually, um, today, is actually the most frequently sold Bible in existence. And it, it may be sold under different names, but if it's a King James Bible with the text along the columns, or beside the, the actual biblical quotes, it's a derivative from the Concordance. And it, the Concordance in the 1960s actually was backwardsly translated. So you had it in English, and then they, because it was at that time public domain, companies translated it into back into French and German and other languages and kept the capitals. So that Bible created this whole idea. And the reason, the reason it's the smoking gun, so to speak, in the Concordance Bible, where the word Lucifer appears, they put a note in the, the, the text that says, clearly this is a reference to the fallen angel Satan. And the deed was done. So, as a result, for over 100 years here in the U.S., and now across the world, that's where the linkage comes out. A perfectly benign uh, adjective has become the Prince of Evil. So I've got to ask you, is there a Prince of Evil then? Oh, uh, from a biblical perspective, I'm certain there probably is. Um, you know, that Satan, the adversary, when you look at actually the name Satan in the in biblical context, as the adversary, it's used in multiple contexts. Sometimes it's actually an advocate for God. So God sends uh, the Satan to, as a, um, a tool for his justice, or the Satan is the advocate for God. Um, other times, clearly in the New Testament, the Satan actually has an identity as the adversary against uh, Jesus. You know, the, the quote-unquote devil, so to speak. So, from a Christian perspective, there is. It, his name just doesn't happen to be Lucifer. Okay, so I'm going to have to ask this. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, no problem. Uh, part of the reason this became kind of a... The, the reason the Catholic Church got back involved with this, every Easter, there is a standard Catholic prayer that the Pope delivers in Latin. And in that prayer, three times it refers to Jesus as the Lucifer, as the bearer of light. So all the Internet trolls and all that, that's why if you go Google it or you, you look at it on the Internet, you'll see people saying, the Pope's or Satan worshiper, he's worshiping Lucifer. Here's the proof in this prayer that he delivered. And that's the reason for the controversy. It's because people don't know their history and they don't know Latin anymore. Right. I, I totally agree with that. And I have to, it, when you come to the paranormal realm, and like you said, there's a lot of quote-unquote paranormal experts out there, but a lot of people believe that the entities that they're dealing with when they say demons or something like that are being is being controlled by, uh, we won't say Lucifer, of course, but let's just say Satan. And uh, to them, what would be, on a religious standpoint, they're saying that uh, Satan controls the demons, the demons are attacking us, 
Um, they use different religious aspects to get rid of these demons. And uh, to, what would you say to them? I would say that it has been my experience that belief in a religion can help the situation, but the individuals or entities that I have encountered do not seem to uh, fall under the hierarchy as we would expect it. I mean, that's kind of a <laughs> me very carefully uh, saying that, but I think it's, it's really true. I haven't seen that kind of um, evidence at this point. So, there, Kyle, I have a not question. That, yeah, yeah. I have a question for you then regarding like, kind of seeing things. What What is your view, you know, regarding like psychics, mediums, uh, empaths, things of that nature? Well, let, let me go backwards in your question. Empaths, I believe, are, and but they're not all um, paranormal empaths. A lot of people have a very human, very natural ability to read people's emotions based on physical um, reactions. They're just very observant. And it's not even a uh, conscious level of observation. They just subconsciously pick up on details in people. And they, they read people. And so they, I, I think a lot of the empaths, that's truly what they are, is they are just sensitive and have the ability on a very, again, human level, no paranormal type stuff there, to understand people's emotions based on physical um, expressions. Having said that, um, most psychics, most mediums um, that I have encountered are completely, um, I'm not going to use the term nutter, but they, they, I don't necessarily believe that they have the gift that they think that they have. Um, one of the things that I look at is Harry Houdini was a great champion against, against that. And if he did test, every time test would basically go against the so-called psychic or so-called medium. So it's one of those things that there, there are, I am sure, people that may have the gift. I've encountered a couple in my travels that honestly blew my mind. Um, but I've also, having said that, I also took classes on You Too Can Be a Psychic from a professional con man. And part of the way the kind of the palm readers, the psychics uh, that are doing it for profit work is it has to do with a human uh it has to do with human psychology in that we tend to remember the affirmative versus the negative. So if a psychic makes 15 bad statements, but he, cap he, he captures it in a way that spins it to eventually get to you two or three positives, you won't remember the 15 negatives. You'll remember the positive. And so, you know, and part of the con man's method of doing it was, you know, you start out with something general, like, you know, someone here's hurting. Well, that's always the case. Everybody's hurting for some reason. You know, someone's got someone near them sick, or someone's got someone near them that died. Again, everybody's had that. 
And so once you get roped in with a few positives, you can then go anywhere you want to. Um, there are some psychics that I have uh, worked with before um, on the lecture circuit that uh, every time they go and do a, 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 a public reading, it's almost the same script. And, you know, the average person wouldn't get that because they may see this guy or girl to be to not get myself in trouble. They may see this person one time in, you know, two years. But if you see them three or four times in a few months, you see that there's a pattern. So, again, I'm not saying that everybody, that there aren't people out there that have the ability. I just think it's few and far between and that um, people want there to be more than there really is. And if you take one person in particular, if you take the Long Island medium, uh, there's a magazine published called Skeptical Inquirer. If you've never picked up that magazine, I, I love it just because as a paranormal person, it keeps me on my toes. But it's well written, and um, it, it's literally the skeptic uh, organization, and these writers really do a good job of looking at the science behind them. But they took, in this case, the Long Island medium. And statistically, if you ask, um, a group of 100 people, the same set of questions with yes or no answers, just straight up statistically, about they're going to get about 50% right. Um, that's a little bit off of 50%, but for this purpose, it's close enough. The Long Island medium, they took all of her public pronouncements that they could get a hold of, and her score was 27%. And, but, you know, if you all her fans, as far as they know, she's, you know, right on. She's, she's great. But you, when you look at the actual numbers, you don't see that. So, anyway, that may or may not have answered your question. But, uh. No, no, that, that, was, that was great. I just – I believe and I, I've seen some that are just – I mean, they blow my mind away. I, I, and not on TV. I'm talking one I know personally. That can – I mean, two of them, they, they can actually – throw out names to people like Edna and Ro names that you don't hear like old names very often. And I believe like, how would you know that? Like, how do you, I mean, precision, which is what I like. It's not generic. Like, you know, I don't have a ring on my finger, so you're not married. It's nothing like that. It's more precise information. There's no way they could even know that answer without, you know, without doing any homework. Well, and that's what I said. There are some legitimate folks out there, but they're few and far between that. I had a... Uh, so, let me... Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask a quick question. I want you to go into the young lady that you're going to talk about, but on a scientific aspect, if it, how do you think that occurs? with? Because I, I know the two people that Kevin's talking about, and they are accurate, and they do do exactly what he's saying, but from a scientific level on your end, and this may be putting you on a spot for something nobody's ever asked you before. I hope it hasn't, but... If there was a communication possible like this based on what you believe as far as interdimensional beings and all that good stuff, uh, how would you consider they would be able to communicate or, or as impasse, be able to feel, um, you know, people from different dimensions bleed over into their own emotions? Well, actually, I don't have a firm answer. I would be upfront and honest about that. Um, I would say that one of the things that the government itself, uh, both the U.S. and the Russian government, have both studied is the idea of 
thoughts being energy and other people being able to capture to some extent those thoughts. So that may be a possibility, but that that's really outside of uh, what I've given any real long research study to. Um, but, you know, maybe that's a possibility. Maybe the person who's psychic is indeed not necessarily communicating with a paranormal event or a paranormal entity, but they're actually getting something from the person that they are trying to communicate with. Yeah, the reason I asked that was, like, are you familiar with, like, Father Morte? I'm sure you are. Just a little bit. Okay. If you ever read any of his book, of course, he's he's passed on a couple of years ago. But he mentions in his books how, you know, in the Catholic Church, I grew up Catholic, Catholic Church, you know, psychics, mediums are frowned upon. It's it's evil. It's heresy. However, he, in his exorcisms, he's he was the head Vatican exorcist. He actually used mediums and psychics to help him, he said, because he couldn't see what he was dealing with. They actually were his eyes. And they actually yeah. were to help with his, his cases. I actually have, a, I think, a couple of books um, of his. But, uh, you know, I have my opinions on that, too. Yeah, no, that's fine. You know, you know I, I just... There are things out there that we don't know. And when it comes to dealing with the psychic side of things, like I said, that isn't my sweet zone, so to speak. I have friends that um, profess to have abilities. Uh, Some of them may or may not. Um, But one of the things I have uh, in some cases done when someone will say that they, they have a spirit telling them whatever. Well, if you then try to come up with some objective way to get them to prove that the spirit's there. Uh, most often they'll come up with an excuse why they can't rather than actually doing it. And that was the same thing Houdini ran into. You know, when you, you say, well, I've got this spirit guide that tells me all this. Okay, well, have the spirit guide walk with me outside of the room. I'll hold up a number of fingers and the spirit, have the spirit guide tell you how many I held up. Well, they'll come up with an excuse as to why they can't do that. Which, if it's a spirit, in theory, you, you could follow you, right? So, you know, it's, it's things like that that where they have instances they could assert credibility that they don't. Um, I will say, you know, I mentioned I had a young lady. Uh, most, Like I said, most of the, 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 the folks I've encountered haven't uh, come through. But there was this one uh, psychic medium um, young lady who... I've actually done a, a few uh, investigations with, but uh, I was actually doing a public uh, thing in, I think it was Atlanta, Rhodes Hall, and she hadn't gotten there yet. And I wrote the history of Rhodes Hall in one of my books. Rhodes Hall is this kind of castle in Atlanta. Um, and so I'd written the history of this place. So before the guest got there, this was a, um, a ghost hunt weekends group uh, at an event there, and uh, I was uh, invited as a guest. So before anybody really was there, just as like the VIPs and uh, the people started drifting in, I gave people a kind of a tour of the house, talking about the architecture, Mr. Rhodes' history and all that, because I had written it about it in my book. But this medium wasn't there. We went up uh, later as part of the uh, ghost tour uh, 
uh, investigation, so to speak, we went up to um, Mrs. Rhodes' uh, bedroom. And she, as soon as we walked in, you get the, the medium saying that there's a man here, and, you know, there, there was some exchanges back and forth. But then the, the rest of the group leaves, and the, the medium pulls me aside. And she's like, Kyle, Mr. Rhodes wants to talk to you for a second. And then she proceeds, as though she's talking to me on behalf of Mr. Rhodes, to tell me, thank you for all those different things I had told them. And she got very specific details about what I had told him or told the, the tourist um, before this girl had ever gotten there. So, you know, could she have found it out some other way? Mm, possibly, but there, would, there wouldn't have really been the opportunity for that to have happened. So that's one instance where there's credibility. And, and I've had another case where um, I had a, a psychic medium that was involved in a murder investigation. And some of the things that she knew in um, relation to the murder investigation were extraordinary. But then just some of the things she was able to to tell me just when we were just kind of casually sitting around waiting. Um, we were at a haunted place. The most haunted place I've ever been to, by the way, is a place called the Thomas House. It's, a, it's like an hour and a half north of Nashville. And it's this amazing place. But we were waiting um, for, it was again with the Ghost Hunt Weekend folk, for them uh, to, to get started. And so I was just chit-chatting with her. And so she hit on the head. So I really do think that there are legitimate folks out there, that there are folks that have the ability. But again, it's few and far between. I think most of the people who think they have the ability, some of them may need the, to you know, get checked to make sure that there's not, when they said that there are voices in your head, <laughs> You know, sometimes there are other causalities. <laughs> Understand. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. All right, well, we're going to hit our last commercial break for the night here in just a second. Just want folks to know if you uh, want to find out about our upcoming shows or learn something about the Kentucky Ghost Hunter show, go to uh, com. A lot of information up there about what we're doing and future guests. But uh, we'll be back right after this commercial break with Kyle. Try out a few more sound effects on you. Yes. Cool. You okay with this? Yes. And this? Yes. And what about this? You're there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. As a man, you know what it's like to break your back on a daily basis. Introducing New Bud Silver, the beer for hardworking men. It's just what you need after a day of assembling flat-pack furniture. When instructions are cast aside in favor of intuition. Working with one eye on the job and another on the TV. A day when you're told it looks a bit wonky at least 40 times. Hardworking men want a fuller-tasting, thirst-quenching beer. New Bud Silver. One cold can of you bet I earned it. Hi, this is the Kentucky Ghost Hunter. If you've ever wanted to become a successful investor but have some issues on just where to find a good deal, well, I've got one for you. Look no further than Sorehead Station, Burgers and Lord Hartford, Kentucky. 
opportunity offers low participation with a maximum revenue award potential. If you want to learn more about this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, just send me an email. Dean at KentuckyGhostHunter.com That's Dean at KentuckyGhostHunter.com I'll tell you what, I'll forward your request for information to the owners of this facility and you'll get back to you as soon as possible. It's a great deal, folks. Remember the name, Sorehead Station Burgers and More. When the food is great, the profits are going to be greater. We're here asking people from all over what they think of Lipton Green Tea. Let's hear what people from Texas have to say. Mmm, How about China? Mmm. Germany? Mmm. How about people from the North Pole? Mmm. Or Mars? <laughs> what about mimes? Oh, right. People with their jaws wired shut? Oh. Yeah, a barbershop quartet. You guys are great. How about race car drivers? Mm -hmm. What about you, high school glee club, here on a field trip? Well, that settles it. It sounds like everyone loves the taste of Lipton green tea. With its protective antioxidants from real tea, it's not just good for you, it's to you. Lipton tea can do that. Air fresheners create a beautiful atmosphere in your home. But some can be overpowering. Ambipure Puress is different because it's allergen reduced. It's just as scented, but we've taken things out to make it kinder to sensitive skin. So, all you're left with is a collection of delicate air fresheners approved by Allergy UK. Ambipure Puress, a fresh take on fragrance in your home. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&M's dark chocolate candies, available wherever fine candies are sold. Hi, Tom Bodette. Of all the things invented in 1962, some have faded away, like cassette tapes, and others are still very much with us, like lava lamps and Motel 6. Yep, Motel 6 is celebrating 50 years of giving travelers a good night's rest and saving you more for what you travel for. But we're just getting started. In fact, the longer you watch us, the better we get. Kind of like a lava lamp. Trippy. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6. 50 years and the light's still on. Welcome back to the Kentucky Ghost Hunter Show, and we are with Kyle Cobb, who is doing an awesome job with our show today. I think, uh, you know, we need ratings sometimes, and you're, you're going to give it to us with this stuff, Kyle. Um, just a quick question, Kyle. Uh, earlier, we were discussing a subject, and you said that you had a case that went really south on you, and there's some people going to want to know about that case. Do you mind sharing that with us? Sure, no problem. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you the short form. Um, I had a client who... Uh, she, she was a young lady, 22-ish, 23-ish. They had gone to um, a cemetery in Savannah, Georgia, and stolen stones off a grave. They brought it home, and that night, um, the girl who stole the stones 
woke up the next morning to find her room rearranged. Her a mirror that weighed about 10 pounds had been moved to the other side of the room. Everything on her dresser had been moved to the edge of the dresser. A picture that was on the dresser was found underneath a carpet, underneath like a rug. Um, so that, that event kicked off that night after returning from Savannah. Then a couple days later, she had been arguing with her roommate, again, a 20-something. And um, when the 20-something, the, the roommate had left, the girl went into the bathroom and couldn't get out of the bathroom like something was holding the door. And she said she pounded on it and uh, all that. And then after about half an hour, the door just opened. So based on that context, they called me and uh, just to come as a paranormal investigator. And so I was just going to do a walkthrough for the house, uh, not really expecting to do an investigation or not expecting anything demonic going on. Um, and one of the things that literally, as I'm there, we start getting physical activity occurring. Um, the house was unique in that it had been a, at one point a kind of an old folks home that had now been converted into townhouses. The particular townhouse that they lived in had the electrical, uh, I guess, juncture for the whole building come in right next to one of the girls' bedrooms. Uh, the, the second roommate, the one who didn't steal the stones, had, uh, from the time they brought the, um, the stones in, had begun suffering from night terrors. Um, and apparently she did have a history, as I researched it later, um, of night terrors. So the, this activity all started, and I mean, it would be something as simple as, um, you would be talking and you say, well, you can, can you come sit down on the bed? And the bed would indent. Um, and, you know, this is all happening the first day that I'm there. Um, got some strange EVPs. I was listening um, to them, but it, it, voices of a little girl. Later I researched it and I found that a little girl had actually been killed in front of the house. And that's what it claimed. So, from a paranormal perspective, not a demonologist perspective, hey, you know, there, there were some things going on. Um, one of the things that made this case a little harder to identify, though, is because of this electric juncture, the house was filled with energy. Um, you know, K2s are garbage, but uh, even using, like, a, I use a tri-field meter. Um, my tri-field meter was off the charts in not only the electric frequencies, but in the magnetic frequencies. So the house was just filled with energy over the top. So a lot of the standard equipment that a paranormal investigator would use was completely useless in this situation. But the entity itself, over the course of several weeks, seemed to be stronger and more um, brazen in its activity. And um, it got to the point where it would slam doors. It didn't like men, and it would slam doors on men. Um, and it would break objects. It finally, the, the strongest thing it seemed to do was the girl who had the night uh, terrors had a, a lamp on her nightstand. And about outside, you go, when you left her room, there was a um, kind of like a banister thing over for the stairs, but it was like a half wall there. 
the lamp had gone from her nightstand over the half wall and down the stairs and smashed at the bottom. And the only two residents of the house were those two girls, and they were both sitting together as the uh, lamp comes crashing down. So all of this led me to to say, hey, we've got something stronger than an agitated spirit. And, you know, this was one of those things that I made a lot of mistakes on this particular case. Um, I made the mistake of talking to the women in uh, the house, which I shouldn't have done, saying, hey, you know, there's something stronger here than a spirit. We need to see about getting it taken care of. Later that same day, when I was at home, uh, it came after me. And I mentioned at the very beginning of the show uh, the idea that they suggest things. They put thoughts in your, your mind that aren't yours. And it was Atlanta. It was uh, September. And if you know anything about Atlanta in September, that particular year it was over 100 degrees every day. It told me I was cold. And this is in the course of uh, an encounter. And so for the next three weeks, I was freezing cold. I was wearing heavy winter jackets. I was wrapping myself in blankets. I was physically burning my body up. I went to the doctors. They could find no causality. Um, I was literally killing myself with heat. So um, after about three weeks, I was able to get past it. During those three weeks, though, I was completely out of commission. And it almost maybe took, at that point, I almost hung it up for good. I wasn't going to do this anymore. And um, while those three weeks progressed, it did get it got worse and worse at their house, and um, they were going to move. They were supposed to move on uh, the first of November. Yeah, Halloween. I know it's coming up. Um, so they were supposed to move the first of November, and they had a house arranged to, to move into. And then there was they had a friend that was having a birthday party, or he was going to turn twenty one, I think or 21, 22. It was only a big birthday party. So they were going to do it at their new house. At the last minute, that house got delayed. So they had to stay another month in the, this townhouse. And um, on this kid's birthday, he disappears in the middle of his party. They hear a crash upstairs. They go upstairs, and the bed, there's, there was a brass bed on the girl who had the night terrors. Um, he has tied a sheet to the, the bedpost where this thing always seemed to hang out and tied it around his neck and threw himself out the window and uh, snapped his neck. So um, all cases don't end well. The, um, one of the, the, the kid actually died, of course, but uh, one of the residents the next day was committed, and uh, she stayed uh, away for, I think it was about six months, the other one has uh, been getting counseling regularly. I guess that's going on six years now, and uh, she's still the one that had night terrors is still um, suffering. So, um, as for the demonic entity itself, uh, it left. When the girls left, it left. It didn't follow them. Um, so anyway, that's a failure. Uh, but you know, I. I I tried to take the, the failures as lessons to be learned from, and that was, for me, um, a real wake-up call. And uh, t- 
taught me a lot about what I needed to do to better protect myself and my clients. I was going to ask you a different question, but I think I'm going to I'm going to kind of go a reversal here. There's a lot of people out there right now that are getting into the paranormal field that are listening to the shows, I guess, that are on TV right now, and that's their training as far as paranormal is concerned. And several of them are getting into a little trouble because they don't really know what they're doing. Uh, what would you suggest as far as training is for somebody before they actually, you know, go out in the field and try to deal with a paranormal situation? Well, what, one of the things I, when I wrote my first paranormal book, that's the reason I wrote it, um, because I saw that people were getting the education from television, uh, from pop culture, but nobody could tell me the answers. You know, like, why do we ghost hunt at night was one nobody could answer. And, you know, what, and it turns out, one, it looks cool on TV, um, and actually, as a aside to that, most TV shows that are shown with a green screen, like a certain TV show where everybody's possessed every week, most of those are not actually filmed in, in the dark. They're computer colorized after the fact. So, and there's some legal liability reasons for that from insurance purposes. But, so, there is the, you know, so I had questions like that myself. And that, so when I wrote my first paranormal book, that was specifically why I wrote it. Because I didn't know the answers. I didn't understand how light works or how sound works or, you know, the basic physics. And I wanted to understand that better. And so, you know, I would suggest to someone interested, don't rely on television. Um, go out and don't read just one book. Read a lot of books. Read a lot of skeptics' books. Um, you know, get multiple inputs and... Beyond that, don't take risk and don't um, don't get involved in something you are not prepared to get involved in. That was one of my mistakes. You know, if I could do it over again, there's no way I would have gotten involved in the the practical paranormal version of demonology. It's it's a real strain uh, to deal with people that are in really uh, bad situations and the demonic side of things while they are few and far between when you get involved in that that's a door you can't really close and uh, so that's the first thing i would say don't get involved research 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 read you know i, I i'm not gonna you know be a whore and dump my book but you know read books and get opinions and prepare just like if you were going to you know, try to get a job, you would want to prepare to be able to do that job in a correct manner. If you're going to be a school teacher, you go to school to become educated on how to do education. If you're going to be a physicist, you need to learn the physics. Whatever you do, and paranormal is just like that, you need to build the skills before you bring someone into it um, that needs help. So what would you say to somebody that believes that they are in a position where they have a, well, let's just say, demon in their home or something like that? What would they need to look for before they call somebody like you so they know that they're dealing with the actual thing? Well, the first thing to do is there's an old uh, logic idea called Occam's Razor. 
The simplest answer is probably the most likely. And so first thing I would say is try to discount natural causes to whatever you think is causing the paranormal event. And that gets rid of most of them. Um, if you can't explain it, the next thing I would say is try to help document it. Um, you know, get audio recorders and leave them laying around your house. Not just one, but several. Because sound is funny. So you, you need to be able to cross-check the sound. Um, if you have a home security system, you know, leave it running with a video. So, you know, just try to collect something that if you brought a paranormal investigator into, that they have a concrete, tangible history that they can follow, hopefully with evidence. Hey, the Kyle. Thing I would, oh, yeah. sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, the next thing is, you know, if you can get the evidence or if the situation seems to be, you know, getting out of hand, then sure, go ahead and call either paranormal team or myself. I, I get lots and lots of inquiries, and we kind of screen them and try to figure out, okay, this is what's going on. Um, having a paranormal team come in, first rule is a real paranormal team should never charge you. This isn't, uh, it should not be a profession. There are no experts. There are no concrete rules. There are no concrete um, sets of evidence. So it's all subjective. So no one should ever charge you. Get them to come in. Try to figure out what's going on. Again, they may be able to disprove some, some things that you believed are paranormal. Um, my experience for real demonic-type cases, usually they focus on people who are already mentally ill, people who are... Um, drug users, people who are chronically ill. A lot of times, true demonic cases focus on someone who already has an issue. And that, that's hard because you then have to get involved and have someone in a professional state try to help decipher what's going on. Someone who is you know, a pharmacist or a nurse or a doctor to tell you, okay, these particular medicines have this effect, these diseases have that. Some of the most famous cases in um, possession cases are actually mental cases. Um, Annalise Michael is a great example. That's the movie Emily Rose uh, was made about her. Um, this girl had grand mal seizures, and that caused most of the stuff that eventually lead to her death. The case of the, the kid uh, behind The Exorcist, um, in that case, it was a little boy. It turns out this guy was truly, a, before the demonic stuff was even brought into the picture, he was a psychopath. He would nail animals to the trees live and vivisect them. Um, but he, he eventually got the right kind of counseling and grew up to be a NASA scientist that invented spray foam. So, you know, there are legitimate demonic stuff out there, but you have to also get the medical community involved. Sorry, long answer to short question. Uh, do you have a question ask, for him, Kevin? Yeah, I was going to ask real quick. You can keep it short, but, you know, using digital recorders or, you know, recording devices, you know, for these people, paranormal, listen to our show. What are your thoughts about a lot of people are talking about this DS60 or some old recorder that goes, you know, back from like 20 years ago that they say is much better than using a like an Olympus digital recorder like I use. Do you know much about that stuff? Yeah, um. For my pr purposes, uh, the Olympus LS11, which 
is a super high-end recorder, is the one I personally prefer, because it's got such super sensitive microphones. Uh, you can actually hold it within a foot of your heart and pick up your heartbeat. So, oh. you know, it, it all comes down to you want the highest sensitivity mic you can get that has the most dynamic range in it, and then as part of it, you don't want it as it brings the signal in. You have to worry about it crunching the signal because part of what happens is a lot of them, as they bring the signal in, will actually compress the wave. So they'll hear, they go a little bit above and below the human normal range, and they'll actually crunch it to put it inside the human normal range. And you don't want that to happen. So that's where you start getting into the technical stuff. Um, you know, a lot of the, the, the stuff on the market right now in the way of quote-unquote digital recorders for dictation and things like that, over the years they've actually gotten less powerful because there's been less of a demand. You know, back in the, the 90s and early 2000s, these were everywhere. You could get digital recorders at every electronic store that existed. But as technologies have changed, computers have gotten the software built into them in a lot of cases, like the Dragonfire or Dragonware. Um, so it's become less of a thing where you have a separate recording device. People use their cell phones and other things like that. But because the use of the device has changed for the commercial market, um, the actual sensitivity and power of the mics on most of today's digital recorders has decreased. So there is some validity to the older recorder being better, but it all comes down to the specs. If you want to pay for one of the high-end Olympus uh, recorders today, those high-end Olympus recorders are incredible. You know, I, I, I talk about the LS11. I don't even know if they still make it, but you know, I know at the time I bought it years ago, it was probably a $200 recorder. And you know, you're not going to get the same thing with a $20 recorder that you're going to get with a $200 recorder. The one last thing I'll say about recorders is, don't have them set to. There's a setting on most of them that automatically start recording when you talk. Those actually clip um, usually about half a second off of the audio at the front. So I don't recommend using those because if you're truly getting an EVP, that's not going to um, get the whole thing potentially, or it may not get it at all. So I'm going to have to ask you, we only got a short amount of time. I, your opinion on spirit boxes, your opinion on the XLS cam that they show on TV all the time. Uh, What's your opinion on those devices? Crap. Um, the, 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 the spirit boxes are from people who don't understand how radio signals work, um, particularly FM, because FM's like a layer cake. And so for the most part, most spirit boxes, when people think that they're getting something paranormal because it doesn't sound like commercial radio, don't understand that there's a lot of stuff on the frequency that isn't commercial radio. Um, secondly, when we talk about the SLS, there's absolutely no um, science behind it um, because it's not developed as a tool for detecting ghosts. It's detecting anomalies that can be caused from air density changes. It can be caused from temperature variation. There's a lot of things that trigger it. It's designed to hit a human being, or the, that was the original technology, to allow you to basically create action. So the software on a lot of them have been developed specifically to give you these kind of things that we see on the SLS, which means 
that the programmers themselves can control it. It's just like the apps for your phone. Um, never buy an app for your phone for ghost hunting. Uh, you know, Agreed. When you Amen. Look, yeah. When, when you start looking at it, sometimes the phone won't spy on you to get context. Sometimes they're using the GPS. They also have a predefined library. There's just nothing uh, valid about them. What tools would you suggest that uh, people use to be more accurate? The, the number one um, alternate to like the K2s and anything like that, if you believe the theory that electric and magnetism are associated with paranormal, I usually actually only use magnetic, um, but I use a, what's called a tri-field meter, and there's a version of it called the tri-field natural meter, and that's a science-grade tool that you can use for electromagnetics or specifically magnetics. And I think that that, it has, when you have all these other devices like the K2s and the Mel's and all this going off, the tri-field, the science-grade one, doesn't most of the time. And uh, its magnetic ability is so powerful that if someone walks in another room, enters the, another room after you've calibrated it, you can see a change in the magnetics because of the human form being in the other room. It's also three-dimensional three when it does its readings. Most of the stuff you see on TV is one-dimensional. It's only straight plane of where you're pointing it. But if you have something higher or lower, it doesn't react to it, where a tri-field is designed, again, as science-grade to do that. All right, well, we're about out of time. Kevin, do you, you want another question to him before we head out for the night? No, I, we're good. Okay, sounds good. Well, do us a favor, Kyle. Tell us how to get a hold of you. Tell us how to get some of your books. I know we're going to have questions on how to find these books. Uh, so where okay. we go to purchase them. And if somebody has an ha issue, how to get a hold of you. Okay. The the best way is my website, which is last, L-A-S-T, gasp, G-A-S-P-S, dot com. And... Um, my, my books are available at Barnes and Nobles and Amazon. Um, so, I mean, they're, they're out there. If you go to my website, uh, it's got at least pictures of the books and stuff, explanations about some of the stuff. My website has just tons of stuff that's actually from the books to help people. Um, the website has no advertising or anything on it. It's just resources for people. Some of the history places I've done, you know, stuff like that, it's all out there for free. Uh, there's even white papers at the, in my, the library section of, like, rare occult books or paranormal books that you can't get. Um, so I try to give as many resources as I can. Um, you can reach me through the website. My phone number's even up there, my email, all of that. And, uh, you know, I'm here to help people. I'm also on Facebook, just K-Y-L, Cobb, C-O-B-B. And... Um, you know, I'm here to help people whenever they need it. Right, we oh, got about free. two minutes. Is there anything? <laughs> well, I was going to say, is there anything else you want to say to any first timers or anything like that? You're you got two minutes of uh, constant device advice here you can give them. Well, I guess one of the things is one of the trends these days is um, there are a lot of companies doing kind of like paranormal tours and stuff like that. Um, most of them I don't recommend. There, there is uh, one company I do. I accept it just throw a, a tag leg for them out there, throw them a bone. I do use Ghost Hunt Weekends a lot um, just because I know they don't fake evidence. A lot of 
tourist things do fake evidence, and that's a really big deal. Um, you, if you want to do a ghost experience, do it legitimately. Also, if you want to do ghost hunting yourself, get permission from whoever you're going to go and do the investigation on. Don't go into cemeteries without written permission from the cemetery owners. In most places, that's illegal and a trespassing fine. Um, just be legitimate about everything you do. And, you know, if you find something, then share it with other people. And let's, don't resist when they say, well, no, that's not really a ghost. It's, you know, matrixing or it's, you know, something wrong with your camera, that kind of thing. It's just one of the things. Be a skeptic first and foremost and, you know, eliminate all the possible answers. And when you've eliminated all the possible answers, then maybe the impossible is true. Sounds like good advice. Folks, thanks for joining. Kyle, thanks for being with us tonight. Kevin, I hope you have a good night. Everybody have a fantastic New Year's. Uh, go to KentuckyGhostHunter.com for our future shows. And, guys, don't forget, every Tuesday now we'll have new guests. Our new season's just started We'll every night at uh, 9 p.m. Central Time, 10 o'clock Eastern Time, and I believe it's 7 o'clock Pacific Time. Join us for the Kentucky Ghost Hunter Show. Until next Tuesday. This is the Kentucky Ghost Hunter with Kevin Quatman saying good night and happy new year.